0: What I've decided with a chateau, there is nothing which isn't heavy or hard. So, you know, sometimes I think I've been sentenced to 20 years of hard (laughs) labour.
1: Welcome to Somewhere Else, the podcast that chats to people living in weird and wonderful ways. Each episode, your hosts, Domain Editors, January Jones and Rose Donohue, interview someone who's ditched the white picket fence for the path a little less travelled.
2: January, if you could buy a home anywhere in the world, where would it be?
1: Well, Rose, I actually recently re-watched Under the Tuscan Sun. Uh-oh. And, I <laughs> and can I'm, see where this is going. And I've got to say, I would love to do the Diane Lane thing and buy a house in the Italian countryside and renovate that and live there. I just think that would be fabulous.
2: I was about to say Diane Lane made it look easy, but she didn't actually. No,
1: she didn't at all. <laughs> she had that terrible storm. Do yeah. You remember? Do you remember that? She
2: had trouble with the... With the local tradespeople, she did, yeah. The language, but mm. she ended up
1: finding love. It was, it was a happy ending for Diane, and it could be for you too, January. <laughs> it could be too. I mean, I have already found love, but I would hope that you know that's true. You find other things. What about you, Rose? Um,
2: it's funny. I mean, I love traveling, but I've never really thought about even the possibility of buying a house overseas because it just sounds like a bureaucratic nightmare. But I don't know if it is. I just sort of assume that it would be really difficult.
1: Well, someone who will know will be our guest today. When Perth couple Karina and Craig Waters hired a car and headed on a scenic drive towards the Pyrenees, they weren't expecting to buy an 18th century 94-room chateau. Six years on, Karina Project manages the restoration for six months of the year with a team of local tradespeople. The project has captivated people all over the world, with Karina regularly updating her 300,000 followers on Instagram. The Chateau has also opened its doors to the public and holds cooking classes, workshops, weddings, and even has its own coffee table book. Karina, welcome to the podcast. Oh, good morning. Bonjour. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, Karina. thank you for the
0: invitation.
2: (laughs) Karina, is it true that a friend of yours specifically warned you when you were on that French trip not to come home, having bought a Chateau?
0: Well, in actual fact, it was a French friend of mine, next um, tennis player Catherine Tonvier, and she lives in France and she had been to, to Australia for the Hopman Cup and we'd been friends for a long time. And she said to me, whatever you do, don't buy a chateau, a historical monument or a restoration project.
2: <laughs> so you did the triple. <laughs> so I did everything on the do not do list. <laughs> uh, Karina, did she say that to you because she knew you were the sort of person who might?
0: Um. I think that she thought that Craig and I might sort of have those sort of um, ideas, that it was a possibility, but um, yeah, she was expecting that we would end up with something more like a little French farmhouse with little blue shutters and and come over and enjoy the French culture and lifestyle and not be spend all our time renovating.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So could you tell us a bit about, I mean, we know it's a 94 room chateau, which is more than any... Any of us can probably even imagine um, having ninety-four rooms on our hands. Can you tell us a bit about the state of the chateau when it came into your hands?
0: Um, well, um, we knew that it was going to be a hard hat zone. We had been warned about that, but we hadn't quite—we weren't quite prepared for you know the, the damage that was before us when we opened up the front door. And although there were ninety-four rooms, you couldn't actually see that there were ninety-four at that point in time because. 91 of them had fallen in. So the chateau was classified actually as a ruin and all the ceilings and the floors had fallen in except for three rooms. But it was in those three rooms which really um, captivated us, knowing that the 91 rooms that had been um, in complete destruction were still filled with such beautiful elements I mean you could see all the like the gold gilded cherubs sitting you know you know in the debris on the ground and um, the stars on the chapel ceiling sort of half hanging down and half not and it was impossible not to feel you know compelled to care about all these beautiful elements in the chateau although they were in a ruined state
2: and were you and your husband in agreement when you first saw the chateau or was it one of your crazy plans and you had to convince the other one
0: well and no no in actual fact the very first moment that um we sort of pursued the idea of a property in France you know Given that it was going to be a little tiny farmhouse in a village, um, it was actually my husband's idea. He was looking at French properties, or in actual fact, French property sites came up on you know the, on Google. You know, sometimes things on Google just come up, <laughs> and I was in the ki- I was in the kitchen peeling Daphne potatoes. Ironically, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and and he and he sort of went, "Wow, look at this!" And so it just it just started from from the internet and from search engines that just you know just appeared. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a, on my bucket list. Or a long life dream to to actually explore the possibility of spending time or purchasing a property in another country. So it it just sort of it just sort of was just like a just sort of happened like that. And then it just sort of grew in breadth and grandiosity, I think, along the way. And we looked at Chateau because mostly they were unrenovated. And um, and they'd been in the same families for generations, so they were in really beautiful, con- not 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 in beautiful condition, as in renovated, but in original condition. Whereas a lot of the other properties that we had looked at sort of had been renovated with a sort of smoothness. So, uh, you know, it was one of the reasons for Chateau.
1: Now, Karina, I know a lot of our a lot of our domain readers love stories about people buying overseas. Can you talk us a little bit through the buying process? So what was it like? What were the difficulties?
0: The difficulties are that, you know, it's a big misconception. I think that the first thing that sometimes you can see online that, you know, you can buy an apartment in, say, one of the capital cities in Perth for the same price as as a chateau. That may be the case, but often there are, perhaps in a place that you may not want to spend 6 months of the year in. Hang on, sorry. Sorry, 2 seconds. I need to come back to that one. The decorators here to put the wallpaper up. That's it right. right. stops. <laughs> <laughs> it's no 9 to 5, it's 9 to 9. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so these châteaux are not always, um, you know, they, they, they may appear as not having many problems, but mostly they need a plumbing, electricity, they need a new roof. Um, it's also difficult to buy a property because first, in most cases, in most villages, you actually have, to, it, it has to be approved by the mayor. So it doesn't mean that you're like, you know, it's not like perhaps in Australia, you know, if you want to buy a property, you just go straight forward. But first it needs to be approved by the mayor because he has to be given first right or refusal. Um, Because, you know, if you're going to enter into the village, they want to make sure that you know that you're the the person that they may want in the village.
2: And I was wondering Karina you not being a French person was there much of what was the response to a couple of Australians coming in and and buying a a French monument?
0: I I think that generally French people really love Australians they love Australia they you know and once they know that you're not from Austria and that you've got kangaroos and koalas then it's just (laughs) you know it's it's pretty straightforward. An easy sell. um, It took us yeah, it took us two years to purchase the Chateau because, they, you know, you have to, you know, we set up a French company because you have issues with um, capital gains tax, um, with inheritance tax, and you, so you have to find the right vehicle which will suit um, your individual circumstances. Mm.
1: Was there ever a moment of panic or of, oh, gosh, what, what have we done? What have we entered into? Sometimes that's on a daily
0: basis, but <laughs> on the main, the main thing is that the um, – the, the night before we purchased the chateau, there's these little um, buildings at the front which were the outbuildings of the chateau and they've been converted into um, independent accommodation which is no longer owned by the chateau. And I was looking out, we rented one overnight and I was looking out of the window and I could see the, the chateau at night silhouetted, you know, under the under a full moon. And I sort of looked and thought, oh my gosh, what have we done? <laughs> it, was, it was so overwhelming. It was the night before. And then another time we were driving down um from the like the chateau situated on the base of a mountain called the Plateau de Bay. And so we're sitting the chateau sits right on the base and we were driving down from the top of the mountain. And one day also before we purchased it, and it just was so enormous from an aerial bird's eye view um, in comparison to everything else. And it was so overwhelming. So <laughs> like oh, wow. really frightening.
2: <laughs> so Karina, your background is you were an accountant. In Perth, is that right? Yes. Did, did you have much experience with anything to do with renovating a property like this?
0: No, no, we'd built our own home in, in Perth and um, coincidentally it was um, quite French inspired but at that time when we had built we hadn't actually ever been to France so that that you know there must have been something lurking somewhere in our brains. Um, no and I'd, I never wanted to be part of renovations because when I grew up my, mom, my mother was a what I called you know looking back now was probably a serial renovator and I hated the thought of renovating and shifting and 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 the chaos and the mess of it all. So somehow I think um, you know, it's, some things in life go a little bit full circle, and what you try to run away from sometimes comes back in the end. So we all become our yeah, mothers. I, I got the big
1: <laughs> I, know I got the big bummer of all renovations. I think. <laughs> Can you talk us a little bit through the history of the building? Because it's such a spectacular home. What
0: do you know about it? Well, it's quite extraordinary in, in many ways because it's very unusual for this region to have such an enormous um, neoclassical perfect symmetrical sort of chateau in this region. I mean, normally they're fortresses and they're fortified castles. But this chateau is quite unusual. And the reason for that is that the owner of the chateau and their family had owned it for 600 years. The, the grandson, Louis Gaspard, he inherited this chateau, but he was also the president of the toulousian Parliament, which meant that he went up to Versailles on a regular basis to the French court. And it was there, which I assumed that he ran into the Chief Architect of Versailles, and I sort of think he must have sort of said, "Oh look, on Jacques Gabriel, you know he did a whole lot of important buildings and in- Paris at the time and at Versailles must have said, Oh, will you mind coming down and taking a look at my grandfather's medieval castle? And can you do a bit of a Renault on it? So <laughs> he must have come down, I think, and he did this big neoclassical, very, very elegant and opulent 18th-century castle. But at that time, this 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 um this owner, Louis Gaspard, he his family he had more money than Louis XIV. So you know, it was an extraordinary castle for this region. And it used to have, the, you know, the, the French court here, like and French philosophers such as um, Voltaire and Diderot and Rousseau. So it was quite extraordinary. But their family perished during the Revolution. And then after the Revolution, another family purchased the, the chateau, and then they owned it to the 1950s. So although it's had a very long history, It's really only had two families that have actually occupied the chateau and lived within the walls since the 13th century to the 1950s.
2: And so do you know why the last owners decided to sell? Had had they not been able to restore it in the way they wanted?
0: No, they were quite devastated, actually. The father died without a will, which means that all the the children inherit because it's Napoleonic bloodline. The children inherit the chateau. Um, There was a lot of disputes within the family and with cousins. And so the family immediately had to shift out. And it wasn't just the chateau. They owned all the land all the way to Andorra. And um, I calculated out it was 74 square miles. So it was an enormous property And it took 28 years to settle. So during this time, yeah, I know, during this time, the family um, had disagreements and the chateau was left abandoned for that time. And it was interesting because a a couple of years ago, the son from that family came to pay us a visit. Most of the family will live in Paris. And he came to pay us a visit and he shared his memories for when he had to shift out when he was 10. And it was, you know, he actually cried and was a very sad moment actually returning.
2: Oh, that sounds really special to be able to um to actually meet them though and and talk about yes, your shared interests. It was it was, it was-
0: extraordinary and um uh he had heard it had fallen into disrepair and he was so grateful that someone had come to save the chateau he actually saw his own height chart because in one of the bedrooms there's a family height chart for that family and he could actually see his height he was really super tall and even when we looked at his height chart when he was 10 he was really tall for a 10 year old as well so it was you know i mean when you talk about, you know, the past and, and the keepers of memories that sometimes these old buildings have, even in the height chart, which you could see in, on the wall, was really very special.
1: Oh, that's beautiful. That's something you only think about in kind of, I guess, suburban Australian houses is the little height chart. Yeah, yeah I, I guess have... even the, the uh, massive chateaus have the height <laughs> chart. That's fantastic. fantastic.
2: You're listening to Somewhere Else, the podcast about people living in weird and wonderful ways. How did you go about starting the restoration and and what have you actually achieved so far because I've we've obviously been looking at the at your Instagram page and it looks incredible
0: where did you start We knew it was a historical monument and we'd need permits for everything but when we actually signed the offer and acceptance there was no mention of all the the bureaucratic side of it that we would need full approval from the historical monuments from France and when we signed the final documents, they had inserted that clause into the contract. And although we had been led to believe it, we didn't need that in the beginnings, so that's been massive. And that and that that really guides everything that we can do because we're not meant to do anything without these permits, which involve several architects. And the first time was a year of waiting. So as the chateau's falling in further, we're waiting on a permit before we can start the work. And really, I think that if anyone was thinking about buying a property, overseas that perhaps maybe not a historical monument just go for one without the listing would be a good idea (laughs) but every you know we had these catalonian builders that stepped in and um, in the very beginning they consolidated the chateau put the walls and floors and ceilings back in Um, and then since then um, i've been project managing out of necessity um, to really keep um, a closer eye on the budget. Also, that the chateau becomes the dream of what the chateau should be, not the dream of perhaps builders or architects or um, uh, individual project managers, which we had that were then doing work that was really what they saw fit, rather than what was for the best um, integrity of the chateau itself. So, yeah. So now, and now, so now we work with local artisans, local tradespeople, um, and we do a. a a lot of the work ourselves now. And so, so it's been a complete shift.
2: And so day to day, Karina, are you, you're obviously on site all day. Are, are you the only person that lives in the chateau at the moment?
0: So right at this point, um, my daughter Jasmine is with me and we both um, manage all the work. So Jazz at this point is managing the commercial side of the chateau um, and the social media. We have a workshops coming up this summer and so Jazz manages that and all the emails and I'm physically doing the work on a daily basis. So the two of us are here. We have a volunteer from Perth at the moment and we have another volunteer from America who is actually working on the garden.
1: That's fantastic. I can see why you'd have volunteers. I mean, just looking at it, it looks like the most beautiful place to live,
2: and people are obsessed with it. I mean, the yeah. you must be were you amazed at how many followers you've amassed on Instagram because it's just it's blown up.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, no. I I I actually the reason why I started Facebook was um that to share, I didn't have the internet at the time for the first three years here, and I didn't have a phone that had international. So I'd have to drive all the way to, to another village about 30 kilometers away and go and sit at McDonald's to, to share with the family what was going on. So I set up a Facebook page to, so I could show my children and my, you know, my husband, what, you know, what was happening if I was here. And then one day, um, I looked online and there were, there were all these, like there were thousands of followers and what had happened, I'd written this little blog and it got shared with the Huffington Post and it just started from there. So I wasn't expecting it or attempting to do anything except for trying to communicate better, you know, across hemispheres. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when I was in Perth, my 12 year old neighbor um, set up and said, why don't you have Instagram? And I went, wow, that's a really good idea. Um, and then up very soon, Instagram and Facebook and Google, they got right behind the project and, um, and shared it. So, um, you know, which accounts for, you know, the, the, you know, the chateau being shared on Instagram last year. The chateau was one of the last twelve finalists in the Shorty Awards, um, which is one of the major influences in home and gardens. So, it's quite remarkable actually to think whether, <laughs> that this 18th century castle and 13th century castle is being shared. I don't think Louis Gaspard could have Louis ever, would, would not have imagined it. No. no, definitely <laughs> it would would not. Would like us going and living on another
1: universe. Yeah. <laughs> you so you project Matt? Well, you're on site six months of the year. Yeah. Why not full yeah. time?
0: Well, first, um, I guess it's one of the misconceptions about buying a property overseas is that um, uh, for, um, I don't have a, a European visa. So, as an Australian resident and under an Australian visa, I'm not allowed to stay more than six months at a time and not three more than three months at a time. Um, and I've sort of been getting away with that a little bit, but last year – I overstayed my visa by three weeks, and I was actually deported, which was a really scary experience. Actually, oh, so yeah. on, on one hand, we've been given a, a French Medal of Honour from the French government, with um, you know, and that was given to us by Prince Albert of Monaco. And then on the other hand, I was. You know, deport, <laughs> sent from the from the airport, <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> with like security guards and sort of chucked out of the country. It was really a bit scary, actually. It was like they'd found the you know the greatest train robber in history. It was really scary. <laughs> You're you know? a wanted woman. Yeah, I know. And so they, I said, look, you know that this isn't right. You know, like you know, I'm renovating this historical monument. So they said, okay, you can have a few extra days to pack up your belongings. So I would then. Packed up my belongings, went back to the airport. And then even when I got on the plane, they still dragged me off the plane to give me another telling off. And, you know, like it was, yeah, it was, it was a bit scary, actually. So, and also, you know, there's a high unemployment rate in France. I mean, if you don't speak the language, I mean, they're never going to give a, a you know, a foreigner a, a job. Then there is no jobs. So to come over here and to purchase a property without we'll an income stream yeah. um, on the possibility perhaps working online. I mean, you'd have to have an online business or something to make it work.
2: Well, that's the thing, isn't it? This is such a a romantic dream for a lot of people, but you know the realities of it. And the realities I'm guessing is that you need to have um, someone working to send money because renovating
1: somewhere like this wouldn't be cheap. Well, renovating even in Australia is not cheap. It's, you know, so I can only imagine what it's like doing a 94-room chateau. Um so I guess that's Pops just Your cats don't want to imagine that, really. yeah <laughs>
0: you're <laughs> you know that yeah, you know, like like sometimes I think you know it's not escape to the château it's escape from the château <laughs> <really. laughs> But in but in saying that I mean um in the very early days and I, and and you know it was very evident that the château would have to become self-sustainable and, and for it to be able to to um, to to continue on with the work, even if it was renovated, I mean, a chateau needs to be self-sustainable, and it's a, it, they're buildings that need to be put to work.
2: Absolutely, and so that's obviously in your plan for the chateau. Um, you've and you've already hosted workshops and even a wedding.
0: We we did, and look, look, look in the very beginning, you know, it's very easy to be swept away and captivated into this world of fairy tales, but fairy tales really are hard work. And in the community, people drive past and they salute the chateau. We thought we were buying bricks and mortar, but we were buying so much more. And so it's very it's essential that the chateau is sustainable for the long term. Mm. But like in the beginning, we had we we thought it was you know it would be a private residence on some level because we were told we could just renovate sort of eight rooms. We didn't need to worry about all the rest of them, right? We could just do some and just live in that play chateau and and travel around France and. Have a look at other villages, but it was so much more than what we imagined. And the workshops have been as a result of the interest in the worldwide community now on social media. It wasn't something that we planned from the onset.
1: And what you've spoken about, I guess it's, you know, it costs a lot of money and it's a lot of work. What drives you? What keeps you going? In all of this hard work
0: and, and the fact that fairy this, this fairy tale has become such indeed hard work, I think that on the other hand of it, in this balance of life, and in this equilibrium that it's to know that every day that you finish every day where you've accomplished so much that it's almost like a gift as well, despite all of that hard work. And don't you think in some way that it's, it's in that sort of the intersection between all good and all the, you know, the struggles and all the chaos and all the cost that on the other side of that, of uh, like that, it feels like it has so much more meaning that it in all this renovation and all this hard work that there's there's this certain sort of nourishment in life as well. So it's it's in that cross section of the two that there is such balance in life, that there's there's this sense of freedom of of creation here. I mean, for example, when we're, we're thinking now that we're building this greenhouse at the back and and to think that you can you can sit at the back and you can think about how you're going to create that, all the possibilities, of, of, of using your imagination and creativity, um, and with your own ha- hands to make this work, is really a gift in itself. And it, and it also, this gift is also giving back to a place here that's eight hundred years old. And and I think that around the world, like people that are actually actually arrive at the chateau and from afar, actually feel that and 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 get. Feel this meaning as well. I think that's, a, that's that's an incredible thing. Sorry,
2: Karina. Do you think it's changed you, the Chateau? And do you think you could ever go back to Perth?
0: Um, I, sometimes it's a little bit difficult going back to Perth. With um, we live in an apartment with about a thousand downlights, so I'm used to hear of running around with a candle. Um, <laughs> but I no, I don't think I don't think that that some things can go back together again how they used to be. And I think that that's some of the parallel of actually restoring a chateau can actually have on your own life as well, quite unexpected. You know, living life upside down and inside out has allowed me to live a life with so much more meaning that I never knew that I was living without.
2: It sounds like it wasn't necessarily in the plan but now it feels like you couldn't go back. Exactly. So what's next? Is it hard to say how long it will be till it's finished or will it ever be finished?
0: Last year, we finished off a a living quarters that the family is able to live in. So we finished off a 70 square metre room. That has shown us the way forward. When we talk about all the, the 90 rooms left now to restore, it's given us a vision of how it can be. But at the same time, The the chateau can't go back to what it was. When would we take it back? What period of time would we take it to um, if we were going to restore it? Because it's 800 years old. It was only in its absolute elegance and opulence for 30 years of that 800 years. We don't have the budget to go back to that and we don't have the the, the permits to go back. There's lots of these issues when I think when you buy old buildings, um, you know, restoration, conservation, preservation – but I think what's very important and the most important and what's sustainable is that the chateau is put back to life and life is brought back in within her walls, undergoing a renaissance.
1: And Karina, for anyone listening to this and thinking, you know, that, that's gotten past the hard parts and thinks, you know what, this is something I want to do. do you, what, what advice do you have? To
0: listen to your heart. Um, not everything's logical in life. And although Chateau and, and living in another culture are very challenging at times, I think that if you have the support of your family, if you have the support of your friends, that I think that to embark on something is just such a really wonderful adventure in life. And, you know, if you tried it and it didn't work, it's not final. I mean, it's about the commitment to your decisions, the, the courage to keep going and all those challenges is where you come out of it. I feel you feel that your own life has so much more meaning. and. There's nothing wrong with having a go at anything.
2: I think that's a lovely note to leave it on, Karina. Mm. Thanks for telling us your story, and it's not hard to see why so many people love following the Chateau's restoration. Mm. If people want to find out more, where's the best place to follow you?
0: We have a website just under Chateau Goudans, and it's the same. On Instagram, and we have a book which is available, and that's on the website or Instagram, I think, one or the other. <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah, no, that's it. it's online. Perfect. So, but thank you so much for, um, to Domain for sharing the Chateau story.
1: Oh, thank Karina. You. I think I'm going to have to come and visit you one day. I just think what you're doing is incredible, and I love it. So big fan girl, <laughs> I, I really am. Well, we look forward <laughs> to welcoming you here. Ah, oh, thank you. All right have a wonderful day. Bye, Karina. <laughs> Bye. Bonne
0: journée,
1: Bonjour. This has been Somewhere Else, a podcast by Domain. Please remember to subscribe, rate and review us on iTunes. And tell your mum, send us to a friend. It's how we get the word out. We'll chat to you soon. Somewhere Else.